This is Coda Radio, episode 207 for May 30th, 2016. everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week with some rocks nearby and a glass, why yes, it's Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Michael! Cheers. Cheers, Mr. Fisher. Oh, I don't have a... You know what? I didn't class it up. My, uh, my, my glass is plastic. You hear that? Oh, what do you got in the solo cup? Mm. No, it's actually a, it's actually a regular cup cup. I have, uh, I have a little bit of a uh, Starbucks, what's called a Starbucks refresher, and a touch of cherry vodka, which is really uh, makes it pop. It makes it pop for the Coda Radio program. Yourself, what do you have, Mr. Dominic? I have a Centauri whiskey, which, if you don't know, is Japanese whiskey. Ooh, what's that oh, like? Yeah. What's that like? It is very good. It's very different. Um, I it is not like any whiskey I've had before. Mm. I would almost say it's a little smoother, but it has a lot uh, a weird afterburn. You know, the best whiskey I ever had was when I was traveling to go see uh, Mr. Colonel Lennox Noah. Stopped mm. in Wyoming, got something called Wyoming whiskey. Mm-hmm. Super sweet, but really good. I I really enjoyed the heck out of it. Makes me just that alone made me want to go back to Wyoming. Besides the fact that it's it's freaking. Freaking beautiful. You know, you and I, Mr. Dominic, we've gathered today for an excellent Coda Radio, one that I already have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight tabs open for in my browser, and that's like the first half of the show. We have a lot to get into today. Absolutely. In fact, I've I've taken a bit of heat over the weekend, too, which I wouldn't mind talking to you in a little bit. Bit of a heat. I, I've, I'm sure you've deserved it. Well, I probably actually did this time, so I'll tell you about that in a bit. But, you know, it is it is a holiday. It is. It is. And it's a special day where I pretend to be off, but really that just means I'm not answering the phone or yeah. email. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. pretty much my special holiday, too. I'm still working. In fact, I'm doing I'm still working. three yeah. shows today, three freaking shows today, which is you should never do more than one show a day. Let me just put that out there. Never do more than one show a day. I'm doing three today. So I know I got a rough, but uh, you know, Mr. Dominic, I do believe you had something you wanted to share with the class before we got started. I destroyed a digital ocean ghost <laughs> installation. <laughs> you destroyed it, huh? <laughs> destroyed it. Tell me about this. This sounds like an so, epic battle. So over at Buccaneer.io, because we're trendy and cool and we have that .io uh, of course, of extension, course. I decided I want to update Ghost. What a mistake. Ghost being do... the uh, blogging platform that uses Markdown. Correct, being the Markdown blogging platform. Now, one of the things that Ghost, or at least the version I'm on, does not have is an automated update tool, a la WordPress, or, you know, anything else. What is the process? Is it just overwrite the files? Basically, yeah. <laughs> so, apparently, I had done that incorrectly. Which, of course, foobarred the whole installation. <laughs> now, you would think if you foobarred a WordPress install, you might have just lost all your content, right? I would definitely think of this. I had a backup of the database and the uh, yeah. and the same exact copy of that version of WordPress files that I could copy. Otherwise, I'd be screwed. 
Well, thanks to DigitalOcean's wonderful backup tool and the fact that I did, in fact, SSH and R-Sync down the entire content in your mm. database for the site, mm. I was able to, once I realized it was broken, within 15 minutes of deciding not to fix it, spin up another droplet, reinstall <laughs> Ghost, point the uh, the domain to that I- new IP address, and be back up and nobody noticed. So you're telling me, you're, you're telling me... Uh, that for a brief moment in time, you completely screwed up your company's website, destroyed yep. it entirely. Yep. <laughs> Gone. <laughs> but had the foresight to do a snapshot backup and and bring the files down via rsync and just and just opted to just spin up a whole new server with the That's new exactly version. <laughs> That's exactly what I did. You know, not bad, not bad, uh, <laughs> not bad. <laughs> That well, is. see, see, the beauty of it too was the way Do handles uh, IP, uh, DNS, right? Mm. So domain names and IP addresses. Because mm. once my domain name was pointed to Do, it didn't matter yeah. what droplet I wanted to point it at, right? Mm. Otherwise, there would have been that like couple hour, twenty four hour potentially DNS update. So let's turn this right now. Let's just do our spot right now. I uh, use the promo code Coder Digital over DigitalOcean to get a ten dollar credit. This is infrastructure on demand. You want to spin up a server to host a project to be a backend infrastructure for your stuff to communicate with. Or you just need to do some testing and learning. This is a great option. See, it starts at $5 a month. For $5, you'll get 512 megabytes of RAM, 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. Setup time is like 55 seconds or less. And you can deploy an entire instance. with. Did you do the ghost deployment option, or did you install a ghost by hand? No, I did the deployment option. Yeah, and then you just get the latest version when you deploy. Yeah, that's nice. And that really does get you up going quick. And so that's that's something else to know about DigitalOcean, is they have, they have both options. You can just do a a bare FreeBSD or Linux box that uh, you deploy everything on with root access, or you start with the entire stack. Yeah, it, it, it's a pretty good setup. I mean, one of the uh, the biggest advantages is if you have a lot of like small microservices or little servers, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. it's super cheap. Yeah, just use our promo code Quarter Digital. In fact, you get ten dollars credit. Try out that five dollar rig two months for free. They have an amazing UI that makes all of managing this really nice. HTML five console. You get access to your machine from when it boots, like at when it posts, all the way up to login. They have data centers all over the world, and it's a great way to support this show. Just use the promo code Coder Digital over at DigitalOcean oh, okay. Can I give another Do Pro tip? And mm. by the way, you got you guys are paying triple this week. Yeah, <laughs> sending you the invoice. You can use uh, the open source package Doku, which is built off of Docker, and I think the Go language. So all the yeah, which they, by the way, contribute code to. Yes, they do, and you will have a little Heroku in a box. <laughs> yes, yes, legitimately so. Yeah. Uh, it is really cool, and it, depending on what, you know, like for us, oh man, because uh, Rikai, myself, and Noah are all like experienced DigitalOcean users. When we're working on one project and we're using DigitalOcean droplets to do it. That shared team knowledge of how to use all that stuff and work with all the uh, API and the documentation is, it is like super, super accelerator to projects. It's really great. DigitalOcean.com. Just support this show, won't you? Use the promo code, Coder Digital. Okay, so, nice war story, though. I, you know, it's, it's a tough thing to admit that you blew up your own company's website, but you fixed it. That's what matters. It was, it was like 11.30 and I'm like, let me update Ghost. Uh, right. Yeah. So I thought of all of the things last week uh, we t- we covered. I thought the thing that had the most ground for further discussion was probably the um, well, there was a lot of things really, but the uh, instant apps for Android. Mm-hmm. You and, had a lot of stuff on that, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I liked uh, the Squirt uh, seventeen sixty four who emailed and did a Reddit post uh, 
he has a bit of a conspiracy. He wants to fry a little conspiracy bacon here on the Coderate program. He says, I wanted to point something out about Google's announcement of instant Android apps. Uh, they are so Yes, they are so close to killing the web. The reason I believe that is because instant Android apps sound suspiciously, suspiciously like web pages. Before anything else, one thing has to be known about them. Supposedly, instant Android apps will be backwards compatible to Android 4.3. I, I do remember that. And I was impressed by that. That means that uh, the brains in all of this whole thing are probably in the Play Store. What I'm suggesting is that Google has included a browser within the Play Store APK. Not a regular browser. This browser is not complying with HTML5 spec. This one has a new thing. Android Framework Lite Spec. Hashtag cool, he says. <laughs> Uh, for comparison, to have an instant app appear, you have to go to a link, just like within the web page, download the content, just like a web page, and have it run a browser program, in this case, the Play Store's program, just like a web page. He says, this is where the conspiracy starts. Assuming that I'm not wrong about how this functions, because the app browser will be bundled when they, with the Play Store, it means that suddenly one billion plus phones will have a browser competitor app appear on them. Google snuck a browser killer into one billion people's phones with zero app installations and made zero hype about it. Hashtag balls. The trippy thing is, this is only the first step of what they can do. Nothing is stopping them from taking that app browser code from the Play Store, Android runtime code from their Chromebooks, and releasing a web browser competitor on any platform, even iOS. Assuming they can get that app through Apple's App Store checking, Google could have Android app lights running on iOS. Hell, they could even slowly transition the default Android app development to an Android framework light and have everyone build framework-compliant apps. Of course, this is just pure speculation. Don't know about anyone else, but this whole thing seems epic to me. Bottom line, Android is open source. If Google will, uh, will not do it, that we, what we have laid out here, maybe someone will. What do you think, Mr. Domina? Could this be how they're doing it? Is it within the browser like this? It's actually still in the browser when one of these instant apps comes to, uh, uh, comes to life? Or do you think they're actually downloading just that component of the app, building it, and delivering you an APK? You know... I read his his uh, email and his subsequent Reddit post like three times. The first time I thought it was crazy. Second time I was like, well. The third time I was like, holy shit, they're doing it. When he, said the, when he said the iOS thing, and I went, my, yeah, I thought they, to myself, my God, if they could do this on iOS, that would be huge. If they could pull that off. And and I have serious doubts that they can pull it off. But So so your, your question that I totally ignored was, are they actually downloading one in 10? So my assumption of how this works, right? And I may be wrong, and it seems like I'm wrong, um, according to this guy, but who knows if he actually knows or if he's speculating. Mm -hmm. Android separates your application out into intense activities, right? But basically, let's just say intense. Let's simplify the whole thing. My thought was that they were downloading on the fly or streaming the intent that you needed at the time and then just running that on your phone. If they're not, if they're doing some sort of other environment that could theoretically be some sort of, I don't know if it's containerized or virtualized or, or what they would be doing, that could be super significant um, and, and definitely something to kind of Trojan horse their way into iOS and other Sure. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. find that to be a crazy yeah. hard task, right? Like. It makes so much sense that they would just be taking advantage of the intent system, and I still think that's what they're doing. But to be totally honest, I don't know the answer, and part of it is because I don't think this is shipped yet. And if it has, I haven't had an opportunity to play with it. But I would be, one, extremely impressed if the, if the writer is correct. Um, 
but I kind of doubtful, right? I, I do think that they're just streaming or downloading the intent that you need for the action. Yeah, my understanding, and I'm reading right now uh, the uh, FAQ on the Android developer uh, site, and uh, one of the things that stands out to me is they specifically ask on here, will the app remain on the device after it's been downloaded and installed from the Play Store? That's the language they're using in the FAQ. So, so it's, right, so it is directly downloading the APK. Maybe it's downloading it in pieces, which would make sense given the intent system, right? Right. It says developers can allow users to download the app from the Google Play Store. After download, the app remains on the phone after the user has left the experience. Which to me, what's that? What that? I, I honestly believe that the way Android apps are architected and the way that they have, I mean, this in some ways, honestly, I think it is Google's getting pay. This is payoff for the just-in-time compilers and the improvements they have done over to the over the uh, portability to Android applications to begin with. That they are now able to slice Android apps at the Play Store level up into individual components and just build those individual components and download that tiny APK on the fly to an end user. And what the real magic that's happening here is, is that the Chrome web browser is going to understand what to do with a link like that and how to initiate that sequence of events to begin to happen. That's truly the, what's happening on the user's end. I don't think anything beyond that's happening with the web browser, but I could be wrong. We're going to have yeah. to wait and see? We're going to have to wait and see. I mean, I, I, from what I've read on it, you do have to do stuff as a developer. Um, the other question that uh, Dursani, whose name I always say wrong, DeCresny, there we go. In the chat is mentioning, what's the difference between a fragment and an intent? Well, technically, an intent could have multiple fragments, right? Because a fragment's just like a type of view state holder. But I wonder if there's a limit on how big these intents can be, right? Like, Because hmm. theoretically, you could have one intent that's like a whole user flow. Um, so will that... I mean, maybe it can be as big as you need it to be, but the reality of having to download this on the fly and stream it would discourage you from doing that. Um, what are the limits with networking through an instant app? I have no idea. Presume it says in the documentation that you can, it's the same Android 6.0 permissions model, which to me would imply that if I give a permission on an instant app, I also gave the full app that permission. Um, and that would make sense, right? If they're just downloading the APK on the fly. Yeah, so and I, I think, yeah. so what he was speculating, he was speculating that maybe the, one of the reasons it had such wide range backwards compatibility was because it was a basically, basically a browser or a runtime really is what he's getting to. Uh, but what this says here on the uh, Google developer page again is that it's basically API level 16 with the play services. So it's, it's they're really what they're doing is they're taking advantage of the fact that they've moved so much of this stuff to the play API and that they've bust right. this stuff out as individual apps. So the implication would be is if you're doing something that cannot be supported via Google play services, you probably can't do this. I would think that is true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I love the article uh, headline here. How one announcement destroyed the .NET ecosystem on Windows. What uh, first? The reason why I love this is I didn't know the .NET ecosystem was destroyed. So apparently, I'm behind. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, in terms of flame bait titles, that's that's pretty top shelf. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's good. That's good stuff. <laughs> so when he says the .NET ecosystem, so I had to read this, right? It came mm. up in my feed, and I was like, okay, you got me. Oh, it's medium, even worse, but you got me. Yeah, it's so funny. That's my same exact line of thinking. Yeah. <laughs> when he says the .NET ecosystem on Windows, he means Windows GUI uh, application development, right? So we're not talking ASP yet. We're not talking anything like that. We're talking literally Windows 8 app development. Okay. This kind of makes sense, right? You 
you remember the Windows 8 days, don't you, Chris? Oh, Fondly. the the first run uh, right once run anywhere one UI for all paradigm. Uh, the new uh, modern UI. Yes, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't. I didn't say Windows three one. I meant I oh. said eight. Oh, eight. oh, sorry. Uh, so, you know, there was the build conference in that year where they kind of snubbed XAML developers, right? C sharp um, desktop GUI developers. And a lot of people took that to mean that they were killing the technology on the on the. Oh desktop. man, I remember that. Remember yes, this? that in, was in, yes. In favor of remember WinJS. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like it's so funny now because C Sharp and XAML are eating the world, or at least Microsoft would have you think that they are. But there was a time when the great Steven Sanofsky basically wanted to take it out and shoot it. Well, and part of the, if you recall. It wasn't just like raw dog hysterics on the part of the community either. Microsoft was being particularly dodgy with their responses. And in fact, Therat and others were some of the people that were trying to get direct answers from Microsoft on this stuff. And it was totaled they were playing the dodge game. So I, I do Yeah, know so there, there's been like multiple posts about that kind of inside baseball. And part of it was no one agreed on what to do, right? Um, and if you're playing the Coder Radio drinking game, every time I say right, take a shot. Oh, geez. This post is interesting because it goes into how, you know, this guy wrote Windows uh, C-sharp XAML components and basically, you know, his sales went to literally zero, he claims. Um, He also talks about, and I've heard this before, to be honest, like at meetups and things, that C-sharp XAML developers, really like financially consultants, took a big hit during this period. I you remember this from months ago or even a year ago? I invested in the Windows 8 ecosystem. Remember uh, that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I remember. I lost all of that money. Like all of it. Like I want my money, Microsoft. Come on now. You know, isn't that one of the fascinating things now about the show? Is just about at the, what we're just about the four year mark now, right? Yeah, we were just about four years, I think. And in that four years now, we have seen platforms come and go. And it's amazing that in just in four years' time, if you go back over the history of this show, and to your credit, a lot of them you gave a good shot and had some great concepts for, too. Well, I actually shipped something on, on uh, Win. Remember, mm-hmm. it was when I was doing it, it was Win 8, and there was no Win 8 1 yet, right? Mm-hmm. It was Win 8 and Win 8 RT with uh, the first Surface, not, not the Pro, the first, like, yep. I'm an RT tablet, Surface RT. And I did a project that was half sponsored by Microsoft. It was like a charity thing for kids to play basketball. Um, the development experience was actually pretty good. I did, I did in fact do it in C sharp and XAML. It was really fast development experience, really great. The tooling. I mean, I was singing the praise of visual studio on here almost every week during the project. And, uh, yeah, then they shot it in the back of the head. So RT or your project? No, my project shipped. I actually talked to some of the kids who were using it. They loved it. The deal was that all these kids were, they was like underprivileged kids and Microsoft was sponsoring it. With in, in association with my client and giving them actually Surface RTs, preloaded with this basketball training software. Wow. You say wow, but when I spoke to some of the kids, were like, so can I run my iPad game on this? I shit you not. Hmm. Yeah. It's too late. The market already had it its expectations. Right. I mean, and it was, I, I still contend to this day that Metro was actually a very cool piece of kit, like a very cool piece of software. Um, the C-sharp XAML stuff was very, very good, but no one wanted it. Like, literally no one wanted it. It was it was probably one of the, you know, in, in one way, it was one of the more smooth projects I did. 
but it was also so disappointing because like the client was happy, the rep from Microsoft who reviewed the stuff was happy, but the users just didn't give a rat's ass about the device. In the worst way possible. I mean, you know, <laughs> looking at that work case and that tablet market now, uh, it seems so obvious that if you have a couple of large things like applications or services that people tend to need on these tablets, the tablet can be as cheap and crappy as possible. They become, they become well. They were giving these kids the services, right? Like they, oh, okay. they like they had a whole pile of them, and it was like twelve kids. They just gave them a tablet. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, that they had to pay for it. Um, so no, anyway, let's yeah. back, back, back on track with the post. This is a common story, right? Developers who had really invested in the original Metro ecosystem, losing like whatever their investment was, mm-hmm. almost to the dollar. It was really bad for a lot of people. Now, it wasn't that bad for me because I still had the whole, you know, Objective-C iOS consulting thing going. So it was just, you know, one fairly large negative line item. But, you know, I don't know anyone I knew who was doing C-Sharp XAML at the time. And I, I knew three guys who were trying to get into it pretty pretty deeply. They're all doing web stuff now. Like web maybe Ionic. In my case, it's Ionic. But I know one is doing that, um, that thing I don't like, React.js. Right, they've all just totally, my point, Chris, is that they've all, they were all burned. They all lost money. Um, and, and money could be a couple thousand dollars. In my case, I lost like 20 uh, because I really invested. I bought hardware. I bought test devices. I actually took a training class, like I paid for an online training class. Granted, I sold a lot of that hardware to recoup the loss. But, you know, none of these people, myself included, are actually doing this technology. Right. Anymore. They're he, all. He right, says all, that uh, at Build 2015, when Microsoft announced that they were going to create bridges to bring iOS and Android apps to Windows 10, and you remember how that went, that was when he and all of his friends basically were out of a job. The clients called them and asked them, why would I pay for you to create a Windows 10 app if I can just take our Android app and run it on Windows? And there was no oh, good yeah. answer to that. Oh, yeah, the organization I was working with, you know, they started with basketball. Um, you know, their whole thing was to appeal to underprivileged kids. Kids are like 10, 11, 12 years old, right? So... You know, there was talk about a baseball version, a football version, but they just had no interest in dealing with the Microsoft technology. And obviously, they weren't going to get iPads for free mm-hmm. simply because the kids just did not want it, right? <laughs> like, you're not going to get through to these kids if you give them something that they think is a paperweight. Can I, can I take this out to a meta level for a second? Go meta. Uh, this is something I'm having a really hard time wrapping my brain around. And it, I think it makes a difference between like a savvy politician and a savvy business person and maybe somebody who doesn't see the warning signs. I'm not, but it also seems like it's so close to overreacting. He literally boils this all down to one announcement that basically was the line in the sand. Well, one guy, right? He really blames Steven Sanofsky, like on its face. Do you think, is it possible to watch your industry like this and look back and say, this was the pivotal, pivotal moment? And if that's the case... Does that mean when you have those senses in the moment that you should act on them immediately? Do you see the questions this raises? The questions to me that this raise is, it sounds like you could be hypervigilant watching for every warning sign. Say, you know, say you've just gone all in on, uh, on Rust or you've gone all in on Go or uh, let's go with Swift. You've gone, all, you've gone all in on Swift and so now you're reading all the tea leaf signs from Apple. You're watching the www, 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 www
Is that the George W. D.C. keynote? Or? Well, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but they're expanding beyond uh, just this world, and they've included a few other worlds. That's why there's so many W's. Martian there. developers are going to take all our jobs. And so you're reading you know, every uh, rumor, you're, you're listening to the keynote when it's on the air, and you're hoping to catch a, a, a glean of information that confirms that your platform choice was the correct platform choice. And... The flip side of that is, is you could also then have to be sitting there waiting for one announcement like this and go, well, shit, now I got to change my whole plan. But you could also be overreacting. This to me gives me an anxiety attack just thinking about what this, what this, what this post represents because I am actually reading this, agreeing with him. So you know, Microsoft of that era really had a problem with bumbling announcements, right? Yeah. Like Apple has basically come out and say, hey, we're taking Objective C out and we're shooting it. But, you know, because it's been around for 20 years, it's going to take some time. Microsoft just, when asked, said no comment. Right? <laughs> so, of course, you know, if you're a consultant and your whole business is C-sharp, XAML, Windows 8 GUI development, and the vendor of your platform just said eh, no comment, it's not shocking that your customers would call you upset and, and wanting to either right. cancel their project or go in a different direction. Yeah, I agree. I mean, is is there not just a risk in being overly dependent on one vendor here? Well, I mean, Especially a vendor who's struggling. Not to go all uh not to go all Richard Stallman here, but open source is sort of your your insurance plan there, right? To a degree. Well, At least it gives you runway to find something else, I would say. Well, the problem wasn't that Microsoft was changing course. The problem was that this guy and many of these people's customers were so dependent. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, on Microsoft as a vendor, that you know, if they wanted open source, they would have just went open source, right? They wanted the Microsoft stamp of approval, and we, you've seen this all over the place. I mean, you, there are some places you just can't go in without that Oracle or Microsoft um, nod. So that's true. But if you go specific to this case, so uh, Microsoft makes this announcement about the bridge, and then everybody says, uh, oh, "Well, why bridge. not? Why not just use the Android version if there's this bridge coming? Why isn't then the that that entrepreneur's response?" I'm your best well, person to make sure that that bridge works. I'm your best person to translate that from one area to the other. Or the response being, that hasn't shipped. Do you want to do something in the meantime? Like, I don't actually think it's maybe as black and white as he, as he now that I think about it, as he sort of pitches it. It seems like if you pivot a little bit, and I hate that word, but if you do, you just move to the new opportunity a bit. Maybe. I mean, one aspect of this, too, is, you know, did you hear the rumor about the Android bridge didn't ship because it was actually too good? I have heard that. It seems that seems unbelievable almost, but I have heard it. It kind of seems believable to me, right? Because Android's kind of weirdly virtualized and and Davlik. You could totally do something where you just run Davlik in a container. Like, can't you see the pieces coming together in like a Hyper-V container? Oh, I know. Absolutely. And and they wouldn't be the first platform to do it. But uh, hello, I hear your Play API is knocking. I, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, Microsoft, it's weird. It was only a few years ago, but Microsoft then and Microsoft now are in two very different strategies, right? Like Microsoft now wants to sell you Azure and a bunch of development tools, where before they really, really wanted you to invest. I mean, WinJS was the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Yeah, they just laid off, by the way, 1,600 people from their mobile division, uh, most of which, 1,400, I think, were, or 1,700 and 1,400, which were Almost all of them are from, yeah. Nokia, yeah. Yeah, they're so, the, the Finnish government, so happy. Yeah, just, was, just so happy. With also, that. there's a rumor that Nokia is going to ship a, an Android phone now. Um, so, I guess going back to your to your point there, I don't see how there's any any way 
this could have gone down differently. When you have a company like, and I don't mean to make this a Microsoft bashing thing, but Microsoft was just in a, in a company that was in a transition phase during that time. Well, they were in a transition phase, and, and for the division that was responsible for these divi- uh, decisions, they had a guy at the helm who was like, you know, my way or the highway, damn the torpedoes, right? So whose fault is it? Well, the author of this piece definitely blames Sanofsky. Why doesn't the author blame himself? That's exactly what I was going to say. You should blame yourself, right? I mean, let me give you a real-world example. For me, I think the writing is basically on the wall for native apps. Um, I really, really believe everything is going to be some form of HTML5 for the future. That future may take years to get here. But I don't see a ton of legitimate use cases for native apps anymore. Unless you were, you know, buying 50 Android tablets and it's just cheaper to do it natively, right? Why would you not, if you had a thought like that, or if you knew there was a risk, why would you not try to skate where the puck is going? You know, if micro, this is not the first time Microsoft has done something crazy and like destroyed their development community or damaged their partners. If I, I were a Microsoft partner, I'd probably, you know, diversify. <laughs> That's... How could you not diversify into the web at this point either? Mm. How could you not see that, even if you don't think the way I do, even if you think that like web apps are still going to be like a sideshow, or like if you're a mobile guy, that web apps will just be like the admin portal. Well, you that's know, still something someone will pay you to do. We are it, we are trending. I mean, you keep talking about web app development, but we are honestly trending towards a potential reality where Android applications are truly the right ones run everywhere application. If and I, I think it's, <clears throat> I don't think I, honestly, Michael, I would not be surprised if Microsoft still enabled that bridge one day. If that bridge didn't come back, and all of a sudden Android apps were available for the Windows platform, and now we're going to have Android apps on Chromebooks, which are some of the num- which are some of the number one selling laptops on Amazon. And uh, on top of all of that, there is the technological possibility that this instant app technology could somehow translate to iOS. I could see it in a runtime of some kind. Apple would have to allow it. There would have to be a ton of market pressure on Apple to do it. But take us five years down the road, that may actually be a reality. Apple isn't beyond working with their competition. When they launched iOS, Google was heavily embedded in it. Now they're just working with Microsoft more. Mm-hmm. I mean, this company... I don't this, buy it. I, don't I, buy it. I, I, I could see it. I could see Apple I could see Apple over the next five years conceding on some of this stuff. I think... Well, they don't have to, though. I mean, look at... Oh, I don't know about that. And, and what, well, they have to concede on a lot of things, but in terms of letting Microsoft have an, a, a, what, a Swift runtime bridge? First of all, they don't need to concede. Microsoft could just do it, right? Swift is open source. No, I mean, I mean, I'm, I mean, concede to allowing a scenario where Chrome ships on iOS and it has the ability to run Android instant apps, and those instant apps would probably be limited to whatever the permissions of the sandbox. Yeah, right. But I could see, I could see, I could see a reality where Chrome ships on iOS with that capability, and Chrome on the desktop has that capability, and Chromebooks have that capability, and Android tablets have that capability, and Android phones have that capability. And now all of a sudden, you you write an Android app, and you can literally run it everywhere. Maybe. I mean, this whole Android instant apps thing is interesting, but I don't think Android is the one uh, platform to rule them all. I, I really think it's the web, only because it's been trending that way. And, and obviously this is non-scientific and anecdotal, but if I get 10 calls in a month, eight of them are web and not build me a website is I want an app, but you know, we want it to be some derivative of phone gap, right? 
And I think the reason for that is it just makes sense. And maybe we'll have to do a whole show on it because we have other stuff to cover today and I don't want to go on a whole, whole yeah, round okay. here. Okay. But, you know, no one's going to stop these web apps from running and no one's going to say, oh, by the way, we're obsoleting JavaScript and now you have to learn Swift. Right. 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 You, you remove yourself from a lot of risk in terms of, and frankly, and this may be part of like the people I work with now influencing the way I see things. You know, I totally believe that the next big apps that are, you know, the TechCrunch darlings are going to be native. But I would much rather have the steady enterprise customers that, you know what, I'm rarely, if ever, going to be chasing them on an invoice, right? Um, I'm rarely going to have to deal with them running out of money but wanting a bunch of changes. These are all crazy things you deal with with startups. And, and some of it's comedic, but it's not really comedic when you have to hit payroll and, you know, feed your family. Oh, absolutely. And you're absolutely so, right about that. Yeah, I mean, maybe I will fully admit that some of my bias here is because I've very, very intentionally opted to go the more conservative route and say, you know what, I would love to be the, you know, I would love to be MetaLab, right? MetaLab wrote Slack when Slack was a plucky startup. Um, but you know what? For every Slack, there's a pig. And there's a pig who doesn't have money or who can't pay you or they and they, or they feel like whatever and they charge everything back, right? There's all these things that can happen. I would just rather deal with a company who has a business that makes sense and wants an app for a reason. And the reason isn't, oh, I want to be the next Facebook. So that, I mean, that is literally the most conservative view of the market you could possibly have. Um, but I'm old and grumpy, so what do you want? <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I know it's uh, – I just want to – before we go off Google completely, just really quickly, um, I, I took out a position in the Linux Action Show this weekend that we've talked about here on the show um, regarding Oracle and Google and their most recent back and forth in the court. And, Let me take uh, a swig on this one. Keep going. Yeah. You, you, you take, a, take a long one because I've, <laughs> I've really – people are really giving it to me. Um, and you know it's 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 so unfortunate uh, because I I think I think it's because I get riled up and then because of that uh, people get riled up in response and I, I understand it's it's my fault. Um, so as you know at this point uh, the kook the kook <laughs> I'm really it's just, this just really gets me the court decided that uh, Google's use of the uh, Java APIs and other things and structure were fair use. And the response on the internet has been pretty much unanimously, thank God. The industry, I've, I've seen the most, I think the paraphrase, the most common responses I, I saw has seen, that I've seen has been, the industry is saved. And so when I went on the Linux Action Show on Sunday and I said, I think this is actually a bad thing. And I, I read the op-ed that uh, Oracle's attorney wrote. And I said, you know, I don't really agree with most of this. But the one thing I agree with is the precedent that I feel like has just been said by this case is that if you're powerful enough and you're big enough, it's worth the money yep. to screw over the dual-licensed open-source project and just not yep. even bother licensing and just rip it off and then worry about it later in court. You know, I am so happy you're going to die on this hill with me because I really thought I'd be fighting alone today. Yeah, I, I know, man. And it, it is. People are like... People are like not not having it, dude. They're not having my. So the they do not like my position. The, the, and we're not going to go over this. I mean, listen to the last three episodes. 
But suffice it to say, the evidence was damning in black and white, and nobody denies that Google knew what they were doing in terms of like copying, pasting, which is not legal. But I, you know, I actually think maybe maybe we could read just a couple of them if you wouldn't mind, because we I, I have gotten so much crap. Why don't for you those. read like a few of the emails? Because yeah. those are really the. What is the one? Let's make enemies on the way. That's really the. Oh, well, really I have shit. I have like hundreds of highlights. I'll just read just a couple of them. Uh, yeah. Well, I read through all of them. It's fascinating. So uh, you're everybody's friend over at FossPatents.com. Um, love him or hate him, he just copy and pasted some of the Google emails that uh, they clearly demonstrate going back to the inception that they knew what they were doing. Um, I I uh, I mean I just let's see here's I'll go to one of my favorite ones I think uh, internal an internal Google PowerPoint presentation with talking points for Andy Rubin stated that even if Sun and Google could not agree to co-development partnership Google would still have to take a license from Sun remember this is their own internal PowerPoint Google would still have to take a license from Sun for Android's use of Java and complain that such a license a license would put Sun in the position of control. That's on one of their own PowerPoint presentations. So their and, own review, their own legal review of the situation came out and said, okay, guys, we need a license. Uh, Andy Rubin, uh, member head of Android at the time, uh, July 29, 2005, Andy Rubin sent an email attaching a document summarizing internal Google discussions relating to licensing Java from Sun. The document states that Google would like to work with Sun to conceive of an agree, and agree to a license that enables Google to release an open source community to the open source community under a license of its own choosing an internally developed CLDC based uh, license um, and the document further states that Google needs a TCK license now a TCK license is talked about earlier in these emails is something that Sun sells specifically that's them saying Google needs a TCK license which is a license they did need uh, an email from Andy Rubin on October 11th 2005 Andy Rubin sent an email to Larry Page proposing that Google take a license from Sun for Java. We'll pay Sun for the license uh, and the TCK. The email further stated that if Sun doesn't want to work with us, we have two options. Abandon our work or do Java anyway and defend our decision, perhaps making enemies along the way. Boom. And I think that just is the end of it right there. Yeah. Yeah. They knew so, exactly they knew exactly what they, they knew were what doing. they were doing. So let me just float this to your soft free software loving heart. Is this not an indictment of dual licensing? This is this is what I fear is in in everybody's believing that there was going to be a precedent around API copyright, what we what we have neglected is the fact that we have now steamrolled a dual licensed open source project. And the Defense for that is fair use, which is, I think, devastating. Yeah. Am I misunderstanding? I, I actually, because I've been so beaten over the weekend, I acknowledge it's only been one. It's only actually been like 12 hours. Uh, I, I, I acknowledge that, uh, or less, that maybe I'm misunderstanding something here, but it, it clearly seems to me that a, a large company could now, like Apple or Microsoft, could go in and claim fair use for rolling a project like this. What am I missing? Well, first of all, you know, in a lawsuit, whoever has more money wins, right? That's unless there was clear precedent set. Like you see, like if Google had lost here, it would have clearly set precedent there. What's really interesting is, you know, I've read all the reporting on this, which, by the way, is un unbelievably biased, like incredible. Like Ars Technica is a joke, honestly. 
The Verge, a joke. I was actually, yeah. I, I mean, every well, everyone's everyone's in Google's camp like this, and the problem with that is that's not see, that's not something you that's can. That's not journalism, first of all. That right, is... and Google has really close connections with with Silicon Valley journalists, and that's a big problem I have. That's one of the reasons I launched Tech right. Talk today. Not the reason, but the close connections that these journalists have with these companies they cover in general, not Google even specifically, but it's definitely one of them, is you know, inappropriate. My, yeah, my, my concern is one, now we know that push comes to sho- shove, a lot of these tech bloggers will side with Google, blindly, apparently. But does this not just invalidate dual licensing? And the anime points out, and we have to keep in mind, that it wasn't that they stole Java completely. They made their own Java, but they used the same you know, interfaces to make it compatible. And also, there were literally parts where they did have some of the same like description and headers in there and, and like, structure. And they, and they admit to copying the code. I mean, they admit to literally copying and pasting. And they even, they even that, that link, uh, you know, I'll be sure I'll put that, you know, I'll be sure to put that in the chat room. Or I'm sorry, in the... Uh, in the show notes, in that link, they also clearly talk about the developers knew at the time that that work needed to be licensed. Well, and Google also wanted to settle this, right? Oracle's just a greedy pig and wanted a ton of money. But Google was very willing to settle this at first. Uh, and then, of course, uh, your buddy and my my good friend, uh, our mutual friend, oh, uh, Richard Stallman, uh, he has, uh, he's written about this, too. There's a post over at the Free Software Foundation. Basically saying that this is not really a big threat to the GPL. Um, okay, that's all I really I don't, I don't yeah, really I have mean, more, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the Oracle attorney saying it's a threat to the GPL is kind of nonsense, but I would wonder if it's not a threat to dual licensing models. Yeah, that's exactly it. I and think. that's where I think, because it, it would seem like the fact that an open source license did exist for Java means that Sun slash Oracle was unable to enforce the proprietary license. Yeah, was and so here's why. Okay, this is my closing thought: is this is going to go? Like, this is going to be appealed. This is going to go again through Oracle the court system. Oracle appeal this so hard, right? And there's no way because I don't, I, I don't, I don't think that I don't think these emails were put before the jury. I could be wrong on this one, but on this particular case, I don't think these don't emails think were. were. Yeah, and so when Oracle appeals, you know these emails are going to go in, and it will show without a question, without any doubt, the intent behind them. And their constant acknowledgement internally. Well, my hope is that, you know, everybody grows up a little bit and settles, right? Like, don't drag the industry through this again. And, you know, I guess so Jack says uh, there's only so many ways you can implement simple ag- algorithms. Um, yes, and then Azer says... copy and paste the other source file. <laughs> See, and then Azer says... Hold on one second. Azer says, my problem is that the function headers shouldn't be copyrightable ever. See, this... Hold on one second, guys. This is where you all, and this is where everyone who's giving me a hard time and I are, we're not talking the same thing. You are talking technically what should be capable and doable. What we are dealing with here is the way Sun has Java licensed at the time. This is before they were bought. If you put Java, something like this, in front of customers, that's commercial use, in their evaluation, and in Google's own internal evaluations, in both Sun and Google's own internal internal evaluations. They both determined that it was being used enough, whatever whatever their determinations were. Both of them independently determined, yes, we probably need to be licensing this or go to court over it. You understand that, right? You Are you listening to me? 
It doesn't matter. What it doesn't matter what's technically possible. What matters is both businesses, both legal entities, determined on their own that they should have a license, and internally, Google decided not to get that license. They specifically, it's because of in 2005 they talk about how they are dramatically losing ground to mobile search. This is this is such ancient history history that I think everybody's forgetting all of this. But Google was in a panic because they were convinced that Microsoft was gonna was gonna lock up the mobile market with a proprietary OS, and then they wouldn't be able to have mobile search. And so they scrambled to have Android. And in the critical importance. The strategic importance to the company, they determined that they had to use a platform that was very, very, very well liked and supported by mobile developers already. They went with Java. And they had to move fast, and they opted not to license it. And all of this is spilled out in those emails. And when those go in front of a court, how can, how can the court not see it clearly that Google, Google themselves determined they needed a license? Regardless of what your opinion is, Google themselves determined that, right. okay? Yeah, I, I think... I th- you know, I, I'm reading the chat room as you speak, Chris. You know, I definitely understand where you guys are coming from, that you don't think this should have been copyrightable right. to begin with. Yeah. But that's not the world you live in, right? Like, I believe that if I'm starving, I should be able to walk into a grocery store and steal some food. Or someone should have to give me food. But that's larceny, right? <laughs> it's still not the way things are. So you could say that, well, Sun should have given them a license, Okay, but Sun had a right to charge for that license. Whether you think it should have been protected or not, it is. And and that's what the um that's what really is the crux of this case. And I think a lot of people haven't is, I think a lot of people haven't read the specifics. Some of the some of the I think a lot of people have not read the evidence well, against Google because I'm too, reading but, the chat room now and it seems like they actually don't fully understand what the, well, the actual Google attorneys, too, did a lot of dancing around what is the definition of an interface and implementation. The argument I would make is it doesn't matter. IP is IP. And yeah, yeah. it's all copyrightable. And even in the most nightmare scenario of saying, well, if that's true, then you have to get a license to use someone's API. I would say, yeah, you do. Like every, I use the Twilio API all the time. Guess what? I have a license. Azer says, it. we want the court to say that Sun was wrong to copyright this. Well, that's a different thing, isn't it? Well, that what you want <laughs> and what the law is. I mean, then again, the court ruled against what Chris and I think is the right thing. So who knows? Yeah, I really I don't like anybody to lose. But the court, was, honest, the but... court was never going to come out and say, oh, you can't copyright that at all. It, that would not happen, right? That's a Supreme Court or Congress to overturn. So your expectation of saying, if you want to just say that like interfaces, APIs, and code implementations are totally not protected under IP law, or that are totally not copyrightable. Well, that was never going to happen here, right? The argument, the question on the table was, did Google's usage of Java's interfaces and implementation, to whatever degree you think they did, they would say they did a lot less, Oracle would say they did a lot more, constitute using their IP? No one was saying that the IP wasn't protected. Google was saying it was a mistake. We didn't. We ended up not using it. We did a clean room implementation, so therefore we're safe. Oracle was saying, "Well, mistake or not, you did it. You're guilty, right?" Right. It's Oracle saying you didn't mean to kill the guy, but it's vehicular manslaughter. And I, and the problem Which, is Google's own internal doc said, "Yeah, we did actually kill the guy." Well, Google said we killed the guy, but we didn't mean it, right? That was really their defense, and you know, or, or 
whatever. It's a it's a pointless argument. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know what? It's really two rich guys fighting, and who gives I know, a crap? I know. You know, I think I didn't care until I felt like there was a huge disconnect, because here's where I'm at, is, and this is my final thought on it. Um, I don't actually think any major, major, major precedent has been set one way or the other. Well, I'm other not so than, sure. I would uh, be worried about those dual licenses. Exactly. Now. That's the precedent I believe has been set here, and that's what I'm not comfortable with. However, I feel like it's almost without any doubt that this is going to go to retrial again, and then Google's going to lose. So Google's. I don't think Google's won this. The only thing that's been set right here is that uh, that they ripped off uh, a dual license project in in the court in 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 precedent in terms of how the court works. I'm not not going beyond that, and I think that's what we have to understand here. And so, this is sort of a precedent being set, but not a good one. And then Google's going to go, and I don't know what happens when Google gets back into court again and loses. Does it undo also, the precedent? Does it well, not well, undo the precedent that was just set in this case? I don't understand how that works. It, it would overturn it, but there, there's a ton of irony here in that Google is the one claiming fair use when Google bitch slaps everybody on YouTube for fair use. But anyway, oh my just, gosh. Don't yeah. even. All right. So before uh, we get into more, do you yeah. want to do you want to do you want to stop and do a spot right now? Are you ready? Are you so can do you? a spot? I you know let's do the poverty trap and let's skip the other thing for the uh, holiday special. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So I want I, I do want to do the tool of the week because it was yeah. A good okay. Chair. All right. So you know I got I got some for you right now. Before we get any further, uh, I want to talk about Linux Academy, and I think this is a great spot because Linux Academy is a great resource for those of us who want to just challenge ourselves. For those of you who want to learn something that is going to be upcoming, something that's going to be a future challenge for you. But I think maybe the bigger one we overlook is this is also a great way to get your current employer's attention. This is a great way to say, hey, I'm self-improving. I found this great resource. They legitimately focus on the tools we use. If you have anything built around Linux, there's probably courseware at Linux Academy for you. They have 2,453 videos where you can obtain experience. Oh! Yeah, man, they got great downloadable comprehensive study guides, <laughs> scenario-based labs. Now, I love those scenario-based labs because they put you right in the middle of everyday common tasks, so that way you really get some hands-on experience. Instructor mentoring is available, which is wicked for the subject material, and graded server exercises help those of you who don't like the way systems traditionally work. You log into a lab, they spin these labs up on demand, you get to perform a specific task, and Linux Academy automatically grades your actions so you can see how well you did. Just goes in right in there. They have some of the best courseware on the Red Hat certs. The good old DevOps category becoming bigger and bigger all the time over at Linux Academy. OpenStack is a beast of its own, as is Amazon Web Services, and they have the best courseware on that. PHP development, if you just want to spite Mike and Ruby, as well as Python. And then there's Android. Oh, good old Android. We talk about it a lot these days here on the show. And you can go get all up to speed on it over at Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com coders to support the show. Go there, visit that site. Let them know you heard about it here. That helps us. And then sign up, and you get a great deal. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Go check them out. Seven-plus distros to choose from. They automatically adjust the courseware and the virtual machines. Machines Keeps track of your progress. Gives you a really good overview before you get started, so you get a really good idea of what you're in for. Availability planning, depending on how much time you have. You tell the system, and they'll generate courseware for you. In-depth resources, practice exams, detailed notes, comes with your own server, and the enhanced learning plans, I think, are really key. Go check them out. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Woo. Chris, can I just PSA it up a little, real quick? Oh, man, I'm so ready for that. Oh, yeah, that sounds good right now. I love the passion about this whole Google Oracle thing. So all you crazy Linux hippies, here's what you have to do. Go vote. 
Because you know what? Half the confusion here wouldn't exist if people who cared about this stuff voted and wrote their congressmen or, you know, PMs, wherever you are. I guess you're, you know, MPs in the UK, parliament, I don't know. Where laws were written um, from a state of one being informed, but also, you know, with your interests at heart, right? Because right now, you know, the people writing these laws are the media companies and Booz Allen Hamilton. <laughs> Just saying. So you may not love it. So do you want to talk about the software development poverty trap before we jump in? Or what do you want to do? You, you lead the way, sir. I'll let, I, I'll would just like to, I would like to go pretty Bernie Sanders on the rest of the show. Can I do that? Yeah, I mean, I'm ready for it. Let me just go into full... Uh... OMG, OMG, OMG. Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay, so, so uh, Chris, we have been robbed. We have fallen into the software development poverty trap. Bum, bum, bum. You see, it's all the millionaires and billionaires and gazillionaires and trillionaires. The billionaires! The millionaires. <laughs> is that pretty good? That's my first Bernie Sanders impression. Was that, that was shockingly good. Yes, <laughs> again. It is. That was. I, I'm impressed. I'm so sick of hearing about her damn emails. No, that's not as good oh. anymore. Billionaires oh, and millionaires. Yeah, yeah you got to get the nails in there. There you go. The nails. That's where you got to get that. That's what does it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm all done. All right. So you totally killed me with your Bernie impression. This folk named. Alexandros, which is an excellent name, I just want to throw out there, mm-hmm. wrote a great piece about the software development poverty trap, which I'm going to summarize it in a very biased way. It's one of these great posts about someone who's saying that, you know, be better at doing software from a position of, I guess, not having a great relationship with reality and customer clients. <laughs> okay. And, you know, Oh, wait a minute. I did this on a fixed bid, so I'm not going to get I'm going to literally lose money if I don't get this out there. He talks a lot about planning and first of all his blog is a ghost blog, so bonus points for that. I agree with some of what he says, but I don't really agree with his solution, right? He he attacks agile and scrum. Well, first we should state what the poverty trap is. The poverty trap is basically making your software crappier and crappier, so increasing technical debt. The actual poverty trap outside of software is poor people tend to pay more money for common consumer goods hmm. because let's say they can't get to the supermarket, so they go to 7-Eleven and they buy food there, which is like 50% more expensive, right? Milk mm-hmm. is like double. Um, they need short-term cash. So they do payday loans, which have like 33% interest on them because the great state of Utah doesn't give a rat's ass about poor people, apparently. That's where all those people are from, Utah, right? You're congressman. <laughs> Seriously, Utah, no laws. Well, you weren't kidding, though, when this guy goes full Sanders. He says, if you're managing a software team, consider postponing some work. Or, you know, take some less work on, or maybe even if possible, hire someone. Yes, he has a strange relationship with reality. Yeah, he says, hire some people with a mandate of delivering improvements to the rest of the team itself rather than the customer. Sometimes the improvements are so dramatic, they can pay off within a single period. You may need to encourage your team to think in that direction. A team that invests in its own productivity will deliver more software faster. Remember, guys, it's all about self-care. you got to have good self-care. Chris, I am hiring you with a mandate. Oh, my God. Can I just give everyone some self-care for a little bit? It's going to be like everybody has a work-life balance, and it's okay if the company makes no money and the client sues us for not shipping. I actually I think it would be the greatest accomplishment ever if self-care and, and team productivity, if I could hire somebody to be like, you know what you need to do? What I want you to do is watch everybody else all the time, just sit right over their shoulder and just figure out what they could do better at their own job because... 
That sounds like something that is. Think about. Think about. Think about that. Think about what that. Well, think about that for a second. Think about how ridiculous so, that is. So this article, I actually like some of what he says because he, he accidentally hits on a great point about how perverted agile has become. And maybe we'll do that on the bonus show today. By the way, stay tuned because we're doing an extra half hour bonus show. What? What? Um, you have to. I mean, they could just look down at their player, right? And they could just see that there's more time. Oh, I didn't know that they could do that. Right. Oh, but, and, and now, now we have to like now we have to commit to 30 minutes. So if you and I are just sitting around scratching, we're going to have to. <laughs> Dude, I have so much rage. Oh. I can, and I have a. You hear this? Yeah. Oh, that needs to be empty. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right about that. Hmm. Okay, so finish so up your agile. thoughts on here. Let's talk about Agile. Mm-hmm. Agile is awesome at setting short-term goals. So first of all, we should say, I have worked with five different Agile organizations over the last year. You know, clients, right? And they have all defined Agile in a radically different way. <laughs> I mean... One in particular, their definition of Agile was, oh, we basically match this up to your, your invoices and see if the story points equal the hours you say you worked. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's just lovely. Another place is, yeah, Agile really means we don't commit to deadlines, which I like. I mean, that, if I had to pick a way to do Agile, it would be, yeah, there's no deadline. You just keep paying us and, you know, whenever. Yeah, it's no big deal. I'm kidding. That's obviously not what we do. We'll get, we'll get around to it. I trust that you will feel motivated to pay me at some point, and I'm not even going to ask. I'm not even going to care, right? We're just going to be chill about it. This fellow comes along the line of more of what I was just talking about, the Agile being basically a way to test if people are actually working. You know, I don't know if that's great in terms of it's obviously terrible. Um, and and look, can I just read this out to you? It strikes me that Agile and Scrum, as practiced by large companies today, is a fantastic way to get the software development team into the poverty trap. Ding, ding. Thinking of nothing else than the completion of the current goals is set by the business stakeholders that every next sprint will make things worse and worse. So this is, this is really key, right? This is Agile done terribly. This is Agile done, oh my God, we got to give the customer a build or we got to give the VP a build and this build has to have this and don't worry about it, just hack it together, whatever, make, you know, whatever crazy thing you're doing just to ship it out there. And you know what I like about that paragraph, Chris? Well, there's a lot to like. I'm not sure. That is the real world. Hmm. I sense he doesn't agree. Well... I'm not so sure. Okay, can, can, can I get you to the uh, can I get you to the fake world that you might agree with? Okay. I'm also fond of what I call meta work. We're just gonna stop there. Yeah, I love that meta part. Work. Yeah, I do love that part. Is that not the most Bernie Sanders thing you've ever heard? Yeah, I oh, listen. That is at a higher level yeah. of abstraction and saves a lot of work on that project level. Oh my god. You can't just throw more. First of all, the mythical man teaches this. You can't just throw more dudes at a project. I agree with that. Better, yeah. Right. Second of all, deadlines have to exist. You can't live in a world without deadlines. Imagine if you ordered something off Amazon and Jeff Bezos called and said, you know, Chris, I know you're a prime customer, but it's going to be like three weeks, not two days. It was just, we got a lot going on right now. Yeah, I felt I needed to meditate. I was being a little overworked. (laughs) Yeah. I had a meta level at least. Oh, my God. But I, I 
the there's a kernel of gold in here, and that kernel of gold is that agile doesn't work, and agile is a waste of time. I, because you're always striving for the next moving target, or why? What is it? Because that's the kernel I'm not quite registering with me. I don't necessarily disagree with your statement. I'm just not seeing what this post says so, that makes it. So, again, I kind of flambated there and overstated it. I think Scrum doesn't work. I, I think agile can with daily scrums can create a perception of non-productivity, which encourages managers to, one, schedule more meetings, which is absolutely <laughs> not what you want to do. Yeah. And two, kind of become suspicious of their development teams. Because frankly, if you give me, you know, any significant feature maybe can be developed in a day, but not all of them can, right? And I've noticed that there's a lot of like, you know, I, I'll, I'll get tickets that say, Users should be able to buy products on our e-commerce solution. And that's in like sprint one of a file new project project. Well, that ticket could take like four days. But there is a, a cultural issue, I think, with the way Agile is managed. I think it's right. I think the problem is PMs who are not really educated on the technology want tickets that make sense to them, mm-hmm. that are tangible, that they can give their to, to their testers and say, okay, can I order a product? But they also know that if they let tickets be too big and too broad, uh, particularly with distributed teams, you know, there's a lot of a lot of room there for fraud, right? A lot of room for people to just tack on hours or whatever. Or yeah, or punt, uh, defer responsibility. Defer responsibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true. That is very true. So that they, registers with me is very true. Right. They it's try dominant. to like shove huge features into w- like one day. Like, oh, build this entire line of business for us in a day. And then they're shocked when their scrum boards become like ridiculously backlogged. And do you know who's a chief offender of this? Hmm, Hillary Clinton. How did you know? You <laughs> must have read her emails. <laughs> they're all from Jira. <laughs> they're just a bunch of Jira tickets. Sell secrets to the Sudan. Check. Oh, oh dear. Um, so am I? Am I on the ball here, Chris? Am I crazy? You've been very quiet. Well, I think it all registers as true to me. I think so. I think what the problem is is that uh, this has sort of been a universal truth. I feel like we've been arriving at that has no, no, no new aspect for me to really chew at, other than. Well, let me give you a new aspect. I kind of do like the take you're, you have on it right now. Let me give you a new aspect. It was actually just a message to me, and I think it's a more elegant way to say what I want to say as I drop money on the floor. <laughs> I think what's happening is that one, I see these meetings get worse and worse as you scale the number of non-technical managers. Oh yeah, right. First of all, if you have a scrum that goes more than twenty minutes, you have a problem. But mm. just keep moving. I, you know, and I'll just read it out. It gives managers the illusion of control, mm-hmm. and I think that's what it's all about, right? Or even because just we, the stakeholders. Not even people that are your managers, just people that are stakeholders in the project around the company. But it's ironic that they're actually slowing down the project, right? If you think about, you know, if you have a two-hour scrum meeting in a day, well, that's two hours of work that's not going to get done. You figure your average employee takes a 45-minute to an hour lunch, that's three hours, not productive. You figure they come in, they get coffee, they chat with the guy next to them or girl Catch up on emails for a bit. Edge up on emails for probably about 30 minutes a day. At least. What do you get? Two or three productive development hours? Yeah, and that's when I'm, feel- and that's when I'm feeling good, you know, and I'm and, in a good and, mood. Oh, and, uh, if you ate bad sushi last night, forget about it. Yeah. I, you know, I don't want to come out and say, oh, Agile is terrible. But I think this has been, and, and I'll wrap it up here, but I think this has been an evolving kind of developing story for us about, 
you know, more and more people are starting to realize that there's something wrong. And I'm not entirely sure what it is. That that's why maybe I sound crazy or confused. I think I agree with System D in the chat room. It's too big to fail. Agile. It's too big to fail. The other problem is, what is Agile? And we don't need to get into it, but again, Agile, initially, it was very little management, right? That was the whole point. It was light management, focus on getting the work done, open communication. You know, now there's... I'm seeing these weird Agile slash waterfall hybrid things, which don't make a ton of sense. And, you know, Agile with a fixed budget and a fixed deadline, I still don't think is Agile. Boom. Boom. We'll leave it there. So you want to give us, before we start the uh, the holiday special, which I think we are, uh, we've already sort of slipped into overtime we're here. Slipped into, no, let's just call it here. You want to, uh, well, I feel like we should have like some sort of marker. Like we got to have some sort of like, like some sort of marker that transitions from main show to holiday special. Don't we need something? Give, give us a marker then. Well, oh, do you, you don't have, you don't have a suggestion. Okay. All right. Well, I don't know. I don't have a suggestion either. Here, we could. Uh... <laughs> Is that good? Is that good? Here you go. Here's your marker. Uh, all right, so it's a special day here on the uh, Coda Radio program. Here we go. All right, this is a nice medley we have here. Yeah, there we go. So we got connected together on a holiday. It is, after all, Memorial Day. And we thought we would spend a little time on the Coda Radio program kicking back and sharing a little time with our audience. A moment, if you will, a holiday moment. We have extra people watching live, so it's been additionally special for us that our live stream has been shit. Because we got extra people watching, so that's always lovely. I hope you've enjoyed that uh, extra game. We like Boom. to gamify the live stream for your chat room. Hope you've enjoyed that. Love the live stream. Now, Mr. Dominic, as we enter in our holiday special, we should probably start with a tool that looks a rather tool. cool. A rather cool tool written in the illustrious Go language. Oh, my goodness. Sent in by Chaotic Linux in the Coda Radio subreddit. Yes. So it is a Linux and Unix orchestration for your servers. Hmm. Oh, and they have a demo. Should we watch it? You want to see what it's about? Let's see. They got Go a little, they got a little, uh, <clears throat> they got a little video here. I don't think there's any audio, but it looks like there is Welcome to Gru, a simple orchestration framework written in Ga. And uh, let's see here what happens. Well, that's not a very uh, compelling video, really. Huh. I see. This is kind of neat. So I'll read you a little bit about it. How about that? Because the uh, video doesn't say anything. Uh, this, by the way, it is experimental, they say. Ah, there you go. But it's experimental and uh, written in Go. Let's see, a good place to get started. Let's see. Don't say anything on this, Dominic. It doesn't say anything about how it works. So I'll just have to play with it. It's it's basically just Linux and uh, Unix server administration. But it's in Go, so it's obviously better than I get. I, I'm just trying to see, like, uh, what all it can do for me. Like, I see it can do some reports about different machines. And it looks like you can, like, calls the different machines minions. Ah, yeah. so it's playing on, it is Gru from the... Uh, Oh, I like that. I see. So you have different, see, like, it, machine builds here. The, yeah, the guy from, like, uh, what is it? Uh, oh, the guy with the big nose. What's his name? Yeah, his name's Gru. Gru, that's right. That's because the same, that's what they named the thing after. Oh, I see what they did there. Yeah, you see what they did there from the Minions movie. Oh, you will have to watch all of those things many times. I have seen one of them. Oh, you just wait. You wait. Once the kid gets older, they oh. like to watch it over and over and over oh. again. They like to do that. That's something that kids do, and that's why digital is important. Now, you got to get everything on digital. Uh, you can't do... Uh, yeah, I only do digital. Yeah, can't, yeah Despicable Me. That's the show. Despicable Me, that's mm-hmm. what it's called. Mm-hmm. So, Chris, I have a problem. Mm, wait, I'm your brother. I can't ship. 
Now, are you talking like code? Are you talking uh, like goods, or are you talking like number two? Oh, number two, I've shipped several times today. <laughs> it's been a continuous delivery. <laughs> okay. I'm oh, sorry I went there. I should. That was my fault. Tell me I about have, this. I have tied in with Jenkins, and I'm running unit 10. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. All right. So uh, I, what I'm hearing is that you were having a problem shipping. Can you tell me more about that? I have not shipped an app in... Mm, for, for myself, right? Customers are different. But for myself... Since Backpoint, so probably since the fall or the summer, that's a problem, right? What big apps have shipped? I mean, what's going on there? I, I don't know. I why feel is like, it a problem? Why is it a problem for me? Yeah. Well, it's a problem for me because I, I do want to ship things. I've had a couple projects. Like I was writing an Android Twitter client that I effectively just stopped writing. Um, probably because it's not that interesting of a project. You know, it's it's becoming harder and harder to find time to ship first-party products when dealing with, you know, customer demands, client work, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes. This is actually what I was thinking is, I mean, there is... Definitely, definitely. And there, so here's what I would, here's where I was going with this. Is it seems like there's definitely a possibility where you could end up landing a, a client that took a ton of time, and then if you had a if you had shipped something that was getting popular, you'd find yourself split between two rather time intensive tasks. And it seems like that might be a bad position to be in, possibly. Although it also means splitting in, income sources, so that's a tough line to walk. But is it necessarily bad? Is it necessarily a problem? Well, it's a problem in terms of, you know, we're a super small shop, right? So that means the vast majority of our work now is subcontracting, mm. which means we can't show it. So one of the main things I've been trying to do as a strategy for Buccaneer um, that was different than my first company is I've really been trying to launch more products, do more open source, and kind of have a broad portfolio that I controlled. The problem with that is that it's really, really hard to find time to ship anything non-trivial, right? You know, one of the things that happened was the whole Swift transition happened at the same time, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, right now is like the worst time to start any kind of new project. Especially on iOS, because WWDC is coming, right? And that could blow you out of the water. And I also, I'm having a hard time finding categories that are trivial enough that I could get them done quickly that haven't been filled on mobile. Right. That would definitely, especially if you're going for something original. Something original. You know, I had a lot of hope in the iPad Pro, and I have a few things. But the, you know, the economics really don't make sense. Mm -hmm. You know, I've kind of, like I have a Mac app I'm about to ship. So Mm -hmm. I guess it's not true that I haven't shipped anything. But even that's getting stalled up in the, oh, I had to commission an app icon, which is taking 20,000 years for some reason. <laughs> like, I should have just done a 99 designs or something like that because it's been three weeks. Got to have a good icon on that Mac because, you know, they might have their dock really big. And it really might. I, I hate when people do that. I used to get complaints <laughs> about that. Um, you know, I've been thinking of bringing CodeJournal back in a different form. But then I'm like, eh, but GitHub changes their API like every week. 
And I remember the pain of dealing with, oh, GitHub's at, GitHub was out this week. I have a customer on GitHub. And the first thing I got, hey, we can't use GitHub. I don't know. You remember when, when I launched Code mm-hmm. Journal. All mm-hmm. the crap I would get on Twitter because GitHub was down. Good old one-star reviews. Mm-hmm. Doesn't um, work. There's also the okay, so there's also the do of subscription service. Okay, well then Apple takes thirty percent of the cut, which seems really steep given the most I think I can charge is like eight dollars. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It, I wonder if there is. It seems to me that the sort of contract work and stuff like that is going to be all all serving business, and the independent apps are all going to be sort of those. I mean, it seems like games is where they're going to do well right now in, in mobile. Right. So the theory was kind of twofold for me, though, right? The, the apps did not need to be profitable, they, but they needed to pay for their own development. Um, because they would then be the, the sales and marketing tool for the business, right? So the idea would be instead of having to pester people for referrals, you know, I'd have these apps that, that I just did. And, yeah, that would be nice, huh? The problem is the the maintenance cost, the cost of you know having having users who use your app and expect updates is pretty pretty severe. Right, especially if you end up getting busy. Yeah, I mean, Backpoints was an interesting case study because it you know it focuses on wrestling, and it ended up being really weirdly seasonal, because obviously high school and college wrestling has a season. And when it's not in season, it doesn't get a ton of usage. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, where where does someone go with this, right? How do you how do you balance all this crap out, or do you not worry about it? I'll just ask the chat room. Hell, if you want to open the mumble line, have fun. I think it's a good. I think it's actually a good question to ask. If you're if you're really if your real if your real perspective is I'm not trying to dominate the market I'm just trying to pay for development if possible maybe make a little revenue and build a library of apps that I can refer to then it seems like if that's your approach um, does a sort of MVP of different categories just pop this up for a bit see if it see if people like it see if it gets well reviewed does that approach well, so, sort of make sense yeah. I mean, there's the, what is it, David Smith, underscore David Smith approach of he just releases a ton of apps every year and some of them work and some of them don't and he kills the ones that don't. Um, but even then, that's a lot of effort. And I tend to be more into the logos and icons. You know, one thing I've noticed about like some of the more like iOS firm developers is most of their apps are actually just native iOS controls and very little design with just accent colors. Mm-hmm. Which maybe that's fine. Yeah, and feel free to call in people. I'm really bored and putting off doing the stupid Twilio integration. Which is another thing. Oh, oh that's terrible. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I do kind of see. I would say, for me, what my issue is. Oh, we have uh, we have a wireless Ooh. caller coming. I'll tell you, for me, I have I definitely have a problem of uh, I never have enough time to start a project. Like, there's always mm-hmm. that concept of 20% time, and I think it's actually critical to being able to do things like this. Hello, caller. Thanks for calling to the Coda Radio program. Who are we talking to? Hey, what's up, Chris? Hello, Mr. Lou. How are you doing today on this American, of all American holidays? I'm doing pretty good. Good, good. Now, did you have anything you wanted to say to Mr. Dominic? 
Hey, sup, Michael? <laughs> hey, what's up? <laughs> Not much. Oh, sweetheart. Not much. You have the most cutting commentary every time you call in. I don't know. I feel like you set the bar. Cuts me to the quick. Yeah, you set the bar. Uh, yeah. So thanks. Yeah, I try. Well, thanks for warming us up and calling in. Now that you've uh, now that you've made the first call, I feel like people are uh, are not going to start ringing in. So thank you, yeah, Mr. It, Lou. Have a good thank one. Thank you so much, Lou. I mean, in particular, anyone who's got something they're shipping or recently shipped and wants to talk about that, that would be awesome. Sure, sure, sure. Um, I think anyone who wants to try to defend React JS to me, good luck. So I have had this situation come up about three or four times in the last couple of weeks. About as many weeks really as it's come up. So it's almost one a week, and it's killing me. Um, is I get a cool opportunity to do something fun uh, with somebody else in the community that would probably not even necessarily be huge, like publicity wise for JB, but wouldn't be bad publicity for JB. So it'd be there's be right. some benefit business wise, but also just be something I would be interested in doing too. Um, and it's come up several times, and um, each time I've had to say, "Oh, sorry, I can't do that. I'm I'm too busy. I, I don't have time for that." And it comes up, you know, I look back at like the last year, how many times that's, that statement's had to be made and new ideas had to be turned down. There is, um, there is a certain preciousness of that, of, of really coming to terms with accepting the fact that I have to, I have to allow myself 20% downtime. I have to give myself mm. basically maybe one day a week where I'm not super busy. If, if you're self-employed, you're running your own business to go back to that medium post you know, you get a little Bernie Sanders here. You have to really allow yourself to invest in some crazy yeah. creative idea time. See, I think I think the difference, though, and I think a lot of the uh, you know people who listen who are probably developers and doing consulting shops or, or independent consulting will find that that's really hard when you have customers mm, who insist on right who insist on having daily calls or yep. You know, just want a lot of, or you know, or it, there's just people in the team that can't work without running things past you or getting a few questions answered. Right. Or, well, even if you're working alone, right? Yeah. I, yep. The, the, you know, I I actually now firmly believe that daily standup, if it's more than 15 minutes, is awful. And if there's more than six people in the standup, you need to split it in half. Just because you know what, all it should be is, I'm working on this. I have no blockers. I'm fine. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There shouldn't be any deeper conversation. You shouldn't be relitigating scope, right? There, there's all these, you know, there's these bad things that seem to happen that I'm finding, for me at least, destroy productivity. There's a certain energy drain on these kind of meetings that just isn't good. Um, but again, I'm old and crotchety, so. <laughs> you know, I was surprised. Uh, Crisis, did you see that they released the Cry Engine open source? Yes, yeah, uh, the Cry, Cry Engine. It's. I'm trying to grok what the license is exactly. Is it their well, own? It looks like it's the Cry Engine license. So I think. Yeah, I they, thought it was some weird pseudo open source. Yeah, thing. they've made their own license up, which is uh, that's always confusing as hell. But I'm, I'm sure people are parsing it right now. This kind of seems like a big deal, though. Crisis Engine's kind of well known. It is pretty well known. I'm hoping people do something with it. Although I feel like Unity probably has a lock. Maybe, but with Unreal now and Crisis Engine, Crytek Engine or whatever they call it, CryEngine, yeah, that's a pretty competitive landscape now for gaming. I'm saying that's the next uh, games. I'm, I would never, I would never wish game development on anybody. That seems like a nightmare. 
Having having just gotten a peek behind the scenes with Star Trek Online when I was down there working with Cryptic a few times. Oh my god. Oh my god, you dirty Trekkie. Oh my it, the, the, the the complexities of an MMO. I would not wish game development on anybody. So no. that seems to be the big and I think there's some decent tools out there. Yeah, see I haven't played a game that wasn't in Unity in forever, but what you got to do is make a fun, irreverent game that pokes fun at something geek culture-wise, and it'll do decent. Ugh. You know, you know what I want to write, Chris? This is the next app I'm going to do. An app that records every time Congress lies. I'll need big servers. Mm, yeah, and if you're going to do push notifications, you're going to be really... Oh. <laughs> you're going to be draining people's batteries. So I ran <laughs> Linux today. I, I, you know, I thought I saw Linux in the background of one of your uh, tweets recently, too. Yes, you did. Yeah. You sneaky, sneaky guy. Hey, man, I, when I, I spot that Linux, I do. I'm a Linux spotter. That's what I do. Yeah, I, I've, uh, my, I work from home today, and I've been running on my old Dell Inspiron tower. Yeah? Now, this is running the Unity 1504, because I dare not touch 1604 with the 20-foot pole. Or 1510, is it? No, it's 15.4. Oh. Oh, okay. It's LTS all the way. And I have to say... What's up with Canonical? How do they fuck up 1604? Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's been it's, it's been really, a mess. It, it was just funny coming back to 15 and being like, oh, wow, this stuff actually works. Never mind. I'm good. Yeah, I think it doesn't get as big of a report either because so the, so the way the emails come into us uh, for new users is they don't understand that they're running up against an Ubuntu bug. They think they're, and I've, there's it's a couple straight of Straight up Linux bug. Yeah, yeah. Or, and they think that they're doing something wrong. And so I think it doesn't actually get as much attention as it deserves. I just recently on, on Linux Unplugged talked about there's this network manager bug where network managers totally takes crap sometimes. You wake up Real- from sleep, you, don't, you can't get to Wi-Fi. Right. Well, it's it's funny. In in real time correction, apparently fifteen oh four isn't an LTS. I thought it was, but no, I thought you were on fifteen ten for some reason. There's fourteen oh four. Maybe I'm on ten. You might be right. I have no idea. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> you know what? I had stopped using this computer when I tried to get that XPS thirteen running mate uh sixteen four, mm-hmm. which was a disaster. Mm-hmm. Still has not been fixed to my knowledge. I seem to recall our discussions were that you went with 1510 because the upgrade path, if you chose to do it to 1604, was going to be pretty straightforward for you. And That's right. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. So this this machine is still stock Ubuntu Unity 1510. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know. I know. Uh, I, we have, you know, uh, Noah, who is really, he's not like, a, he's actually professionally, he's probably more of a Red Hat advocate than anything else because that's what he works with a lot professionally. Sure. But in terms of converting users and the desktop experience, he is a huge advocate of 14, or I'm sorry, of of Ubuntu and Unity. And that is what he deploys to all of his clients. And that's what he runs on all of his staff's computer. That's what he runs on his computer. And uh, he is totally, totally totally refusing to install 1604 on any of his machines you know it really didn't work on that xps like the screen flicker yeah yeah uh, super unstable yeah the intel the the intel screen flicker issues was another set of problems now we have been running 1604 on some of our server droplets without problem really without any issue it really uh, it is great so i'm I'm still on the 15 lts or in some cases, the 14 yeah. LTS on my server. No, the one thing about it is, is the 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 server product still remains to be pretty remains pretty solid. The community support remains pretty solid there, and yeah. um, in fact, we've moved a 1404 server over to 1604 just to take advantage of some of the stuff like systemd. For us, it's an advantage because then we're writing common systemd init or our unit files, uh, which there is a copious amount of documentation out there for. 
and there's very little recent and good documentation for upstart. So there's been some advantages for us okay. to moving to 1604. Now, do you find, because this is something that actually came up earlier in the last week for me, do you feel locked in on your servers to Ubuntu at all? I, I no. In, no, okay. no, I mean, I definitely, it is my preferred server distro, um, I, I could do Arch, but it's, it's a lot of it's a lot of work. Yeah, I just hit one hundred percent Ubuntu deployment. Yeah, I don't uh, know what else I'd rather deploy um, because CentOS is not my preferred tool set to work with. I don't like CentOS, yeah. um, and I don't uh, want to pay for RHEL because right, right, yeah. And plus, then you're really just working with the same CentOS tool set. Nobody BSD is you know evil. FreeBSD is not really my bag, and not really my work environment either. Arch Linux is my preferred distro, really, in most cases, except for well, a server. Would you run that I, on the server? Yeah. Right, that seems yeah. crazy. I have a couple servers with it on there. They're fine, but no, I, I, I tend not to. I, I go, I go Ubuntu. I mean, and a lot of that too is like DigitalOcean basically pushes it. You know, if you want to use their preset images, they're all Ubuntu fourteen four. I think I, I think, would probably. Oh no, they're updating them now to sixteen. Are they fifteen now? Okay. No, sixteen oh four. They're getting most of them updated. But I think if it was, if I couldn't go Ubuntu, I think over time I would probably transition to Debian. Debian? Why Debian? That's well, so. I mean, the, what brought me to Ubuntu was really what I loved about Debian, which was apt-get and uh, you know a dist upgrade and the community documentation at the time was really good. Um, that those were some of the features that brought me to Debian, and then Ubuntu just happened to be a better, more frequently updated, better supported community-wise Debian. So, just speaking server side here, do you think there's any risk in like an Ubuntu hegemony, right? Like an Ubuntu, you know, I don't know because I see it everywhere. Right? Microsoft no, pushes it now. I think the Azure. only, I think the only surprise kick in the balls that Ubuntu could have coming its way is. Uh, I think the guys that uh, I think it's already starting to happen, uh, but a lot of the containers that are, have originally been based off Ubuntu are now going to be based off like different Linux distributions. So that was going to be. If you think about this for a second, really, because every time I see a Docker container, it's always Ubuntu. right, and that, and that may that may stay, that may remain the same. But there is there are distros now being developed that are specifically designed to be the under, underpinnings of containers. Oh, so like a specialized distro for, uh-huh. for containerization that, that is more be. controlled by Docker and other right. container projects. So they have direct control over it and influence in its feature set. And if you think about it, if you thought. VPSs were a boon for Ubuntu in the cloud. Containers, I mean, people will deploy hundreds of containers on a VPS, right? Well, well that's the thing, right? Like, containers are, you know, we've been having a lot of uh, conversations about deployment because AWS, it just feels very old hat and, and frankly is very expensive relative to DigitalOcean, which, and, you know, for the audience, I am not just a shill because they sponsor the show, though I am a shill, in fact. The fact that they allow me to pay $50 a month for like 10 servers is awesome. Actually, if, if the way it works is every time we talk about DigitalOcean that's not during the spot, they get for free. So yeah, they pay us we less, do, we don't yeah basically yeah. we make every every time we talk about them not during the ad costs us money essentially because we don't charge them for that time. Well, and to be fair, for obvious safety reasons, I do diversify my stuff. Not everything is on DigitalOcean. There's some on Heroku. Uh, pretty much all stage. my stuff is now. <laughs> I do is diversify really? data centers, though. Well, we also have Scale Engine and all that, all that too. So right, I was gonna say I thought oh, you were yeah. running on Scale. Engine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I just mean like all the new infrastructure we spin up for like uh, project support or some of that stuff or new sites. Well, the, 
for customers, the ultimate deployment, I'm, I'm just recommending like a Docker container using Doku with DigitalOcean because you know what? Heroku is still very expensive. And honestly, AWS is not worth the effort, I feel, at this point. Yeah, I agree. If I could have like a DO instance that was like one of these weird new Linux that you were talking about that are streamlined for Docker, and I could just slap Doku on that and get deploy, I would be so happy. Because <laughs> really, you know, we're not an IT shop, right? We're I'm just development. We're just a development shop. So deployment is often one of the more challenging aspects for us. Yeah. Because we really don't want to run a server, right? We, Hence the Ubuntu hegemony. I have scripts that just literally run on Ubuntu. And they rely on, you know, they rely on that Docker is fairly optimized for Ubuntu, right? You're, they rely on, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, you're, you're probably safe, I think, honestly. I think you're safe. I really, I, I don't think it's, I think so much of their bread is buttered and always has been buttered now from this area of their business that this is always going to be something that as long as they can, they're going to remain competitive here. And they have shown signs about being aggressively competitive in this area even even recently. LXD is their container technology. I don't have hands-on experience with it, but I totally trust Wes from Linux Unplugged's opinion on that topic, and he says it's good tech. And he's he's, used a, he's, he's, do, he's doing this stuff you know, in production for his work, and he's using Docker, and he's comparing it up to other technologies and saying, this LXD they're working with is actually good stuff that Ubuntu's done recently. And then on top of that, they're the ones that's really been sort of aggressive about pushing ZFS in their most recent release. Debian did the groundwork legally for the framework, but Canonical's the one shipping ZFS right now. It, so, it, it, it's so funny because I remember when we first kind of started talking about Docker before any of the other shows, it was so new. And now I feel like Docker is the old yeah. hack container <laughs> technology. Yeah, you got like it. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. sitting there with my Ubuntu LTS and Docker just in my rocking chair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the world's going too fast these days. It really is. Whoa, we got one more a call caller. coming. Wow, that was, a, that was I forgot I left the line open. Uh, hello, surprise caller. Thanks for calling the show. Who are we talking to? Oh, this is Nehemiah Decris. Well, hello, hello. Thanks for calling the Coda Radio program. What's on your mind? Um, messing with Saudi Volume No, I'm here to talk about the National Day. Oh, geez, oh boy, Ooh, we got a no, we got a bad connection, man. We got a bad connection. You might, you might try calling back. You might uh, make uh, make sure if you're uh, doing like a VoIP system or something, you got plenty of bandwidth. You got the stream paused, but turn uh, off Dropbox. Turn off, turn off Dropbox. Make also, sure. Are we FM radio? Does he have to turn his radio off? You know they do. They well they do because turn you know what it radio. is. It's the same problem that FM radio had. Is if you you get you get feedback plus you're on the delay output, in the input. But know, we so don't delay for f bombs. We just delay because it takes computers about ten seconds to I mean, encode I'll video. Chris and to go fuck himself right now. Yeah. <laughs> There this you is, go. Very this good. Is, this is very a good. holiday special. Yeah, it is very. It just got very special, Mr. Dominic. Well, so I don't. I don't think our call is coming back. Let's let him call back. Give him a. Give him a second. I would say, I would say, I'm not so sure. I got a funny story for you. I'll give him one oh. more moment. Give so, him uh, I handed. I don't. I don't use my iPad a lot these days. I've just less and less. I have an older iPad. Like I think it was the first like iPad Air or the iPad Air Two or whatever. That's the one I have. The original Air. Yep. Yeah. And so I, I handed over to Dylan to say, "Hey, you want to play on it? Go ahead." And um, he says, "Oh, Dad, what? Oh God, what? You have Slack installed?" I'm like, I look at him. You're, you're, isn't Dylan like eight? <laughs> Seven. I say, uh, "Yeah, yeah, I got Slack installed. Why?" Can you create things with this? I'm like, oh, what? 
He's like, you can create anything with Slack. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, the ads on YouTube say that Slack is used to create anything and and give people powers. (laughs) Oh, my God. My son's five weeks old. He'll be saying, he'll be grabbing my iPad, Slack, Slack. So I looked at him. I said, no, Dylan, I'm sorry. It's just a work chat program. It's a chat app. And he said, and he looks at me, and he seems so disappointed. What? Why do you got to break the kid's heart? Just give him my I know, I know. Okay, caller, how's your connection? Are you holding up better now? Yes, now that I closed the YouTube stream of your There channel, you go, so. there you go. Okay, go ahead and restate your question. We can hear you fine well, Yeah, now. we can hear you now. I was, um, you guys are talking about voting and more informed uh, voter base yes, and yes. more informed Congress. So this would be a good point to inject a mention about the National Day of Civic Hacking. National Day of Civic Hacking. Okay, cool. It is a national coding event. It is put on by the Code for America organization. And it's where uh, all the brigades around the country and around the world come together and, like, hack on something for their local government, hack together something or hack on an existing like open source project for the local government. And it's basically to help uh, the local government services service their communities better by improving the whole technology system. Cool. I like that. I like that. It's like using your coding skills uh, to help improve. Yeah. You know, I've I've looked into that. Actually, someone shared that before. They have a great uh, chapter in New Jersey for Newark and Camden, which if you're not from here are very, very extremely poor areas. Probably Uh, a good way to cause great cause, especially if you're looking to, you know, add a few things to the old resume, too. When everything's open source by law, like it's their charity, it's their mandate. So. All right. Thanks, caller. Thanks for calling. We appreciate it. Have a good one. so how do we con Popey into being our last caller? Okay. <laughs> Popey, what would you let's see? Uh, he had to be by the phone. Uh, I could, I could, uh, I could tease He's him with a few things. Popey, I will install Fedora on machines until you call in. You gotta call in, Popey. You gotta call Popey, in. We have to ask you about Docker. I don't think. Uh, I, don't I don't think, think he's, he's gonna. gonna know. Know. Uh, he bite. might. Yeah, he might. Uh, he might be busy. You know, because it's he's like gonna, it's like dinner time over there. Uh, so, all right, Mr. Dominic. Well, I hope you, thanks. You know, it's funny. We had a, we had a chat before, uh, last week. Angela said, so are you guys going to do the show on Memorial day? It's a holiday. And we were like, well, uh, we always have before. <laughs> why yeah, not? We, 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 we've had no respect for any holidays. So why wouldn't this one be different? Like, I guess, like, I guess, I guess so. Uh, hmm. Yeah. So, so far that does seem to be our pattern. All right. Well, there we go. That will wrap up the Coda Radio program. Tweet Mr. Dominic, won't you? Where do they find you on the Twitters, Mr. Dominic? Andrew Manuko on the great Twitter. Hey, I like that. What about that website you just got back up and running? Buccaneer.io, but DominicM.com gets updated more. Hey, good to know. You can follow me at Chris L-A-S on the Twitters. Oh, my goodness. Hold Under on. the wire. Let hold on. Let's, okay, hold on. Okay, hold on. It's not Popey. All right. Thank you for calling into the Coda Radio program. How may we assist you? Oh, I think they hung up. That was, I thought, a good answer, too. I thought I had, that was good. I was going to take their order, but that's fine. That, so we ended the show for nothing. <laughs> we, we, we stopped the ending of the show for nothing. Oh, we stopped the outro. Yeah. Now you got to call back. I mean. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, Popey says he can't call. Tell I don't want to do this integration. Can you? <laughs> this, this is the thing. I mean, this is, this is a Memorial Day show. This, uh, this whole half of the show doesn't exist. This is not a real it show. It's, it's not going to be on iTunes. No, we, we won't publish this part. We won't, yeah. we'll just, we'll cut it all out. Yeah, cut right. it all out. Hey, you know what? You know what that does mean, though? That gives me a whole other chance to plug stuff that we didn't mention last time around. So let's do this plug. one more time. And that 
brings us to the end of this week's Coda Radio program. Now, we'd love to get your feedback. See, I didn't even mention this last time. CodaRadio.reddit.com. Did you know we do this show live? Yeah, well, you probably did because it's been a little obnoxious. JBLive.tv. With, with alcohol. I mean, good show. <laughs> now, you don't got to worry about like when we're doing it because we put it all out there for you at JupiterBroadcasting.com slash calendar. You get that converted to your local time zone. Don't forget about that contact page, JupiterBroadcasting.com slash contact. That's where you go. To let us know what you think about also what you think about the show not just that the subreddit is also a great spot go ahead and call in next week too because i don't feel like doing show notes <laughs> just everybody call it y'all just, just call, call it, it. I'm not all, doing right. It. <laughs> all right buddy see you right back here next, week. next week probably Thank you so much bye guys bye.